1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I keep it tuned here. We'll keep you apprised of all the developments with regard to the potential, I say potential, winter storm. Um, right now there's a winter storm watch in effect, particularly for Milwaukee counties and south. Um, they expect snow to be moving in tomorrow afternoon. And um, we could get whomped. Um, we, we could w- get whomped less to the north more to the south and again i think it's one of these things that still the storm track can always vary a little bit but we will keep you posted all right president trump says it is a bombshell let me i i, I need to put all this in context because i i, I want to just be honest about these different memos when the nunez memo was released last week the president described it as complete and total vindication well it, it wasn't it wasn't that and critics of the president said, oh, this is a nothing burger. There's nothing here. And it wasn't that either. I mean, what, what it appears happened is you have at least some members of the FBI who cut corners, perhaps engaged in what I think would be unethical behavior, um, maybe sanctionable behavior if they didn't tell a judge all that they should have told them. But at the same time, does it completely vindicate the president? No. Does it make the FBI look bad? Yeah, it does make the FBI look bad, at least some of the FBI agents involved. Um, so now we have more texts that have been released. And these are our texts between... Um, this Peter Strzok guy who was one of the lead FBI investigators and his girlfriend slash paramour, Lisa Page, who was a lawyer for the FBI. And I think it's important to put these things in, in context because, um, you know, they're, they're having an extramarital affair and clearly they're they're engaging. It, it's a form of pillow talk in a weird sort of way, you know, texts back and forth and how the two of them could have been so stupid to not realize that all this stuff at some point in time was going to be discoverable when you're doing it on government. Th- I mean, it's just it's mind boggling to me that these two people could be this stupid. And a lot of the stuff that's going back and forth between them. I take with a grain of salt because, again, it strikes me as these are these two people who are having this extramarital affair and they're sort of just exchanging these different comments back and forth. But the, the breaking news in the last hour or so um, that the president describes as a bombshell, and I'm not sure it's that, is the release of more emails between this investigating FBI agent Strzok and his FBI lawyer girlfriend, Lisa Page. And apparently at one point in time, um, on September 2nd of 2016, Paige, the gal, writes to Strzok about prepping James Comey. She says, I'm getting ready to do something. I'm going to prep Comey because POTUS, President of the United States, that would be Barack Obama, wants to know everything we are doing. And, of course, this is controversial because five months earlier, Barack Obama had very, very publicly come out and said that I, I have I have nothing to do with any of these investigations. I haven't asked for any information. I guarantee you I'm not going to interfere in the investigation. I don't talk to the attorney general about pending investigations. We have a strict line. And here you have this FBI lawyer who's saying five months later, I got to brief the FBI director, James Comey, on this because he's got to report to the president. Um, it, it does make you wonder what Barack Obama knew and when. Is it a bombshell? Does it change anything? I, I don't know that it's that. And then, of course, they, they've also 
released more of these text exchanges between these two where um, they're showing their disdain for Republicans. Um, at one text, um, President Trump is called by one of the two of them a blanking idiot, although they don't say blanking. Um, and the newly discovered texts uh, struck, that's the, F, the guy, called Virginians who voted against Andrew McCabe's wife. Keep in mind, this is part of the conflict of interest that's there. Andrew McCabe's wife was running as a Democrat for a state Senate seat in um, Virginia, and um, she was being bankrolled by essentially Terry McAuliffe, who was the, the Bill Clinton bag man, the, with the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton's bag man. And it's, you know, it, it is unseemly that you had this conflict and that the FBI and this guy was part of the ones that was investigating um, Hillary Clinton. Anyhow, this Peter Strzok refers to um, the people who didn't vote for McCabe's wife um, as hillbillies. Disappointing result, but look at the district map. Loudoun is, that's Loudoun, Virginia, is being gentrified, but it's still largely ignorant hillbillies. Good for her running, but curious if she's energized or never uh, again. And Senator Ron Johnson released a series of these texts. I don't know that there's bombshells there, but it doesn't make the FBI look good. And I think it's amazing that this Peter Strzok guy, they, they took him out of the field and they put him, he's riding a desk in human resources. I don't know why they haven't drummed him out of the bureau. I just don't. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. It's reminding, it reminds me of the uproar around the pension scandal. Um, from about 15 or 16 years ago. I remember once the news of the pension scandal broke, what you had is, I, I still can remember going into Texas Victory Hall down in Cudahy and, and people just showing up, wanting to sign petitions to recall then-County Executive Tom Amitt. People just outraged that county government should be so non-responsive. And I think it was perhaps predictable but, you know, after the outrage, after Tom Amon resigned, after a number of county board members were recalled, well, what happened is we went back to same old, same old. Now, this is not on the level of the pension scandal, but people are energized. And you saw this last night. They had a hearing at the Mitchell Park Domes. Um, and what ended up happening is you had hundreds of people who showed up absolutely outraged that Milwaukee County wanted to go ahead and start charging people to park in various Milwaukee County parks. The story, I guess if you haven't heard it over the last couple weeks, is in an effort to try to plug a $1.6 million hole in the county budget, what Chris Abley wants to do is essentially contract out to a private parking firm yet to be determined, that private parking firm will then pay money, a percentage of their revenue, to Milwaukee County to fill this budget hole. The the numbers that are being thrown around are about 10%, which means the private company is looking to charge us, if you live in Milwaukee County, $16 million dollars. And of that $16 million that we will pay in parking fines and parking revenue, we will kick that, they'll kick back $1.6 million. So the parks, the county gets a little bit, the parking company gets rich, and the taxpayers and the users of the park get, 
Well, fill in the blank for what they get. Well, anyways, you had hundreds of people that showed up last night at this meeting, um, and it was as animated and as heated as I think any county meeting that I have seen since going back to the pension scandal. For their part, the representatives of Abley's government keep saying, hey, we've got this hole. We've got to fill it. I'm not sure. I am not sure that county government leaders have heard you yet. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't believe that you need to charge parking revenues to fill this hole. And isn't it interesting that when Abley first of all announced, hey, we're going to have to cut bus lines unless I get more revenue, and then when the answer to that was no, mysteriously, we found, you know, a lot of money to, again, put those bus lines in place. I think parking increases is a complete and non-starter in the county parks. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I think this is something that is uniting all sorts of people across the county. The people who don't want to see, again, added forms of taxation imposed on them. The people who want to keep the parks open. I think you've got liberals. I think you've got conservatives. Everybody coming together. The lions sleeping with the lambs saying, hey, you know, we don't want increased. We don't want to have to pay to park at the lakefront or if we're going to use beer gardens in Estabrook Park or wherever else. 414-799-1620. Here is my question. Is this still a good idea? County says we've got a hole to fill. I think this is a non-starter, and I would hope that what happened yesterday demonstrates that clearly to the county board and the county executive, but I'm not sure I'm correct. 414-799-1620 is paying to park at the parks really that big a deal. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1218 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I understand this isn't a pension scandal, but every once in a while, you get something, an idea that is just so blindingly stupid that it unites people from the left, the right, and the center. And this idea of charging people to park in Milwaukee County parks appears to be that. And of course, it gets better because, you know, the plan is going to be you hire some private outfit and they're going to collect I don't know, $16 million from people in Milwaukee County and kick back $1.6 million. So it's the private parking place that ends up getting rich. It's the county that gets a little bit of money, and it's the taxpayers that get, well, you know what they get. Let's start with Julie in Menominee Falls. Hi, Julie. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, if you look at this problem um, from a budgetary standpoint, I am 99% certain that they can come up with $1.6 million by cutting some other program or something that's superfluous to the operating of the park system. Yeah, let, let's start with maybe money. getting rid of Chris Abley's media representative. Let, let's start looking at staffing and oh. things like that. Just like what happened with the bus lines, Julie. Oh, we got to get rid of all these bus lines. Well, all right, I didn't get my added uh, wheel tax, so now we've mysteriously found a surplus in the budget. Never mind. Yeah, I'm sure there's some place in the budget that they can find that money. Who it's really going to hurt is the soccer coaches that have to go to the public parks two, three times a week for a few hours at a time. They're not going to be able to afford to park at the parks. The soccer moms that have to go every week and sit in the parks, right. I mean, that's ridiculous. Those are the people that are going to get gouged. The county is not going to get $1.6 million. 
there is no way that they're going to get $16 million in revenue from parking at the park system. There's just not that many people in the county and not that many parking spots. It's not feasible to... To get that much revenue. Well, and I think it's going to change behavior, Julie. I mean, one of the success stories uh, of the Milwaukee County Parks recently has been the beer gardens. I mean, I, I'm real close yep. to Estabrook Park. Estabrook Park, before that beer garden, was dead, D-E-A-D. Now it is a thriving place. Um, summers, weekdays, weekends, that parking lot is always full. If you start charging... Home. Yeah, well, and if you start charging people to have to park, there's all sorts of places that folks can go and, and have a beer. Well, if, if you got to par- pay to park there, I think a lot of people are simply going to say, okay, you know, we're going to find somebody else, other place to go to have that beer. And you know what? You know, we're not going to get the revenue, and so the county's going to lose out on that. Absolutely. And don't forget that the parks are used by people who are like families that are looking for a place to go to have fun with the kids as a group that's not going to cost them anything. That's why the parks get used. And if you're talking about now all of a sudden it's going to be 10 bucks because they're going to charge 3 bucks an hour right. and we're going to be there for three hours, the people are going to go, yeah, we're not going to that park. Yeah, or they- they'll park far, far away and the houses are in the neighborhoods are going to get mad because they're going to lose their parking spots to people who are parking free and walking into the park. Right. And what are we going to do when people get the parking tickets and then don't pay them? All right. Now, is that what's going to happen? Are we are we going to really start, I don't know, aggressively going after those parking scoff laws, particularly if it's low income people that are using the parks that are supposed to be there for free? It's just, Julie, it's just a stunningly bad idea, no matter how you cut it. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Kevin from Germantown writes: A lot of people just go to the park for ten or fifteen minutes just to relax for a few minutes. I know I do, and I notice many people do the same. We can still just sit in a car. A lot of times, we don't even get out. Um, yeah, I mean that's. I I will tell you one of the things that I will do on occasion is if I have to if I have to be somewhere. I'll uh, let's say it's my lunch hour. Um, What I'll do is I'll pick something up and I'll go over and I'll park in one of the parking lots at one of the area parks around where I live. And I'll sit there and I'll have my sandwich and I'll have my diet soda and I'll park in there. Well, I will tell you, if I now have to feed a meter in order to, uh, again, sit there and for 15 minutes and have my sandwich, I'm going to find some other different place to do it. But, you know, the bigger point is. Uh, you know, where are our taxes going to support the parks in the first place? I mean, I, you know, you would think that that would be one of the things that you would be trying to encourage usage of. But here's the bigger point of all this. I think this demonstrates, again, another example of the tone deafness of the Abley administration. They don't care what you think. It doesn't matter to them. This whole idea, and this whole this started with Abley's just refusal to accept no. He came out, he wanted a $60 wheel tax, all right? The county board said no. The county board gave him a $30 wheel tax, but that wasn't enough. And I, I was frustrated by that, people patting themselves on the back saying, hey, we've look, we stood up to the county executive. We only gave a $30 tax increase per vehicle, um, and the county executive wanted 60 bucks. Not happy with that. Abley decides he's going to stick it to his constituents by pushing for that $60 wheel tax. And then when he doesn't get that, it's let's see what we can do to try to really hurt people. Let's see, we're going to 
put in parking meters at, at the various parks where we're going to funnel most of the revenue, again, to private parking companies. Boy, I'd love to see who gets those contracts and how many political donations they'll end up making to people who make those decisions. And then after that, what we're going to do is we're going to close places like the pool at Lincoln Park because, well, we want to stick it to our opposition, you know, the county board chairman. It's just a staggeringly bad idea, and a lot of people in Milwaukee County are rising up and saying, no, I think the county board is taking notice. The county executive obviously thinks that he is above this type of stuff. Well, I will tell you, I remember another county executive who thought he was above all this type of stuff. Well, and he ended up resigning before it was all over. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, more details about that horrible hit-and-run fatality on Sunday. And let me put it like this. It doesn't look any better for the drivers. Stick around. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks turn south for the Sunshine State portion of their four-game road trip. They're in South Beach Friday to take on the Miami Heat. Ted Davis will be courtside with Buckshots. The coverage starts at 6.40 on Friday. Be sure to check that out. All right, we, we talked about this in the 1 o'clock hour of the program yesterday, and actually had a very interesting call um, about my my belief that people who are knowingly and intentionally involved in hit-and-run accidents, particularly hit-and-run collisions, I should say collisions, not accidents, because they're not accidents, uh, collisions where there is a loss of life, it's time to say enough is enough, and it's time to start throwing the books at these people. Um, I had a call from somebody who said, well, I, you're too, being too hard on this. I was involved. I was guilty of hit-and-run decades ago, and I, I just panicked, and I, I went 100 yards, and then I, I stopped. And I said, well, okay, first of all, you know, as long as you came back to the scene i think that's a little bit different i understand panic but at the same time i also understand there's some really horrible people out there and this is a big deal crime i am referring the latest hit and run and of course you have on any given day on the mean streets of tom barrett's milwaukee you can come up with a with a hit and run that appears to be almost as prevalent as carjacking which is almost as prevalent as car theft but this is a story that I think got a lot of people's attention. 11 o'clock or so Sunday morning, what happens is there's a 40-some-year-old woman coming home from church with her 13-year-old son. Remember Sunday morning, what was going on? Um, we were in this the start of this kind of snow train thing, and there had been snow on Saturday, and the roads were snow-covered and slippery, and it was cold, so people have to be careful. Anyhow, about 11 o'clock in the morning on, like, 15th and Lincoln Lady is, is driving the car, our car. What happens is this speeding Ram pickup truck, and again, the estimates are, witnesses say they think it might have been going like freeway speeds on a city street, loses control. The vehicle starts to go sideways at a high rate of speed. It slams into this woman's car. She is ultimately killed, um, but she's still alive for a while. Um, people hear the crash from like a number of shops and stuff come running out to see if they can help. The pickup truck has smashed into the car, ultimately given the woman what turns out to be, you know, uh, injuries that caused her to lose her life and smacked into three other cars. So the pickup truck's there. There's four people in the pickup truck. They get out and they run away. They flee the scene. What happens is there's one of the witnesses who starts to try to chase after him once they see that these people are leaving the scene, and one of the four pulls a gun 
on the guy that's starting to follow him, at which point in time he breaks away the chase. Well, yesterday afternoon, the DA's office issued charges, and, and the details are even more dazzling. The driver of the vehicle is alleged, I say in air quotes, according to the criminal complaint, the driver of the vehicle is a 27-year-old guy named Juan Mata Chavez. He is still at large. He ran away and is hiding like the sleaze that he is, afraid to come forward and face the consequences of his actions. After the four of these people ran away, apparently on Sunday night, one of the four, woman, um, comes forward and, and says, okay, I, I was one of the people, you know, here's here's what happened. You know, we were in the car, we were driving around, and we were involved in this. Um, she says that um, her story is that she was in the car, um, that she had received a message from her friend, Carlos Mata, asking her if she wanted to get something neat. She agreed. They picked up, he picked her up about 1030 and 1040, um, with two of his buddies in this pickup truck. He was driving, they were driving east on West Lincoln Avenue, um, and then it says he lost control of the car. Next thing she remembers is an impact, somebody opening the door, grabbing her hand, and running away from the accident. Um, she said, ultimately, we ran together, and then we split up, and then you know she ended up ultimately going in and saying this. Somebody else, one of the other four, has come in and made a statement. The vehicle that this creep was driving appears to be his sister's pickup truck, um, and interestingly enough, the sister says she woke up about 9 o'clock, had a text message from her low-life brother indicating that the brother had taken her truck. She said that she leaves the keys to the truck in the kitchen so her brother could have gotten the keys. She says that around 11 o'clock in the morning, this is after or right approximately the time of this crash, woman's been killed, um, she receives a phone call from her brother. Her brother tells her to report that the truck was taken at gunpoint. All right, so after the brother has been involved in the hit and run, while he's on the lam, he calls his sister and says, go tell him that the vehicle was stolen at gunpoint. Um, so she goes down there. Um, ultimately, I, I think the, this story kind of falls apart. Um, because they show her the video of the crash, and she says, yes, that's my truck. She views a video clip of four people running from the area, and she says, yeah, that's that's my brother that's um, there. So you have this guy who not only is involved in the hit and run, but then tries to coax his sister into lying for him to kind of cover up and, again, explain. Now, this isn't very well thought out, and it falls apart pretty quickly, and the cops know who is involved. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, yesterday when we discussed this without knowing all the particular details, I had a caller who said, well, you have to understand, some, sometimes people panic, and, and you, you, we just can't be warehousing people, you know, because they, they panicked. All right, this is a situation I understand people panicking. I get it. I, I understand people don't know what to do. There's a difference between not knowing what to do and intentionally doing the wrong thing. In this particular situation, the people involved in that collision had every opportunity to stay on the scene. They ran from the scene. They pulled, one of them pulled a gun on one of the witnesses who was trying to follow them. 
the driver of the car continues, at least to my knowledge, as of 1242 today, to be a fugitive hiding like the rat that he is. And on top of all that, not only were you responsible for killing that woman, for fleeing, for hiding, but you also tried to enlist your sister in a cover-up by immediately after this happening, not caring a whit about the lady that you killed, but instead saying to your sister, go lie to the police, cover for me, tell them the car was stolen. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the type of situation where, again, if I am the judge in a case like this, I don't want to hear panic about panic. I don't want to hear I didn't know what to do or whatever. I want every darn day, um, every darn day. And he's looking at 25 years in prison. Oh, by the way, according to the charges, he didn't have a valid driver's license either. He was a person whose operating privileges has been revoked. Surprise follows surprise. The guy doesn't have a valid driver's license driving his sister's car and a 40-some-year-old woman is dead. This isn't panic. This is a guy who should be in jail for in prison for decades. 414-799-1620. And how many more innocent people will have to die before we realize that? Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, this is in my radar. Um I, there's a lot of things that have to be done, and I know that I think it's Alioto. I think he's one of the uh, state legislators, and he was trying to get some enhancements done. But really, this has got to be something done on the state level. It really has to be, mm-hmm. as far as I mean, we, we could have a whole segment to this, but really, it's got to be something done to the fact that hey, before you're even issued a uh, license plate. Uh, you have to provide insurance and a valid driver's license. Mm-hmm. I think that's half of the problem. They do it in New York. Um, yeah, of course. But- look, the problem, and I, I don't disagree with you, Dave. But look at what you got here. Here you got a guy that doesn't have a valid driver's license. His driver's license had been revoked. So all he does is he grabs his sister's car oh, to stole, cruise yeah, he around. Stole the car. Yeah, yeah he, he stole it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's part of the solution. And I think you have to have an automatic. Uh, yeah, automatic felony. I mean, well, he's going to go 25, right. 25 years, but there's got to be something done as far as he, I, I, if, people just, like, driving like lunatics. And that's the other thing. You would just think that if I didn't have a driver's license and I had a suspended license, I wouldn't be doing 75 miles an hour. Right, on, on a city street. 15th street. Right, right, on, on, on a snow, when the roads are snow-covered and slippery because it's been snowing like heck for the last 24 hours. No, thanks for calling. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on here. But, but here's the bottom line. This isn't panic. This guy is a sleaze, and the public needs to be protected from him. And again, this, I mean, I understand, gee, I was driving along, somebody darted out in front of me, I hit the kid, I freaked out, I panicked, I drove away, and then I came back to the scene. I, I get that, but that's not what this is. This man is engaging in a conscious effort to try to avoid responsibility, and these are the types of aggravating circumstances that, like I say, I think you could argue that 25 years in prison might not even be enough. Alex in Milwaukee. Alex, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, I was listening to your program yesterday, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I was listening to people saying that this guy panicked. I said, come on, this is not like that. Um, this guy, uh, I mean, I, I have no good sentiments for what he did. It's, it's the ugliest thing that uh, mm-hmm. can happen. Uh, they should, the police should be aware that uh, if the guy is not found here, 
they should be checking airports, they should be checking everywhere if this guy tries to get out of the United States. And yeah. he will, he's, he will, he, he, Kahneman, he will pay for what he did. This is something unbelievable. Yeah, it, no, it is. I mean, th- thanks for calling again. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know what his resident status is or anything like that. Um, but, but clearly, he has fled. Now, has he fled? He, he, has he fled Milwaukee? Is he trying to go somewhere else? Is he trying to get out of the country? I, I don't know any of those things. Other than we know that at least as of now. Um, he, he remains a, a fugitive, either in hiding or actively running. This isn't this isn't panic. I mean, this is the, and unfortunately, this is the type of irresponsible behavior that we see on a regular basis. And just this complete and total disregard for human life. And that perhaps is the most aggravating thing of this all. You have, I mean, this is a 27-year-old guy. Guy, And by the way, I, I say the same thing about the three other people who were the passengers in the car. Okay, the woman who ran away um, was with the guys when they pulled the gun on the bystander. She says, well, I just couldn't live with myself, so I turned myself in later on Sunday. Well, okay, you get a little bit of credit for that, but you know what? You could have stayed on the scene. There's nobody that made you run and flee and wait 10 or 12 hours or however, eight hours, however long it was before you went in. And maybe if you had stayed on the scene or maybe if the other two guys who weren't the driver had stayed on the scene and identified the man from the beginning, maybe the police could have caught him before he was able to get away. So, yeah, I think there's blood on everybody's hands in connection with this. Sandy in Johnson Creek. Sandy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Sandy. Um. Why isn't there some kind of manslaughter thing, sentencing or whatever, or accused of doing? He killed somebody. Mm -hmm. Well, he has been charged. um, He has been charged with hit and run resulting in death. And if convicted, I mean, you're looking at 25 years in in prison. And if I was the judge, Sandy, he'd get every darn day. (laughs) It needs to be more. Yeah, no, thank, I mean, right, this, like, and, and this is one of these stories that it's just, I mean, I think what, what's touched the nerve is how heartbreaking this is. You have this 43-year-old lady who's coming back from church on a Sunday morning, and she's dead because of the reckless behavior of this. And the more, the more I get worked up about this, it, it's not just the slime, you know, hitting, killing, and running, but then it's all the other factors. There, there's a revolt, he doesn't have a valid driver's license. Well, he didn't care about that. And then calling up his sister and apparently trying to tell her, look, cover for me, tell the police that this car was stolen in an armed robbery. Well, okay, they've got pictures of this, and he's not the brightest criminal either because they've got pictures of him leaving the scene of the crime. So they're going to catch him somewhere. I don't know if they're going to catch him in Milwaukee or Chicago or Dallas or wherever, but when they catch him, we have to make examples of these types of people. If nothing else, it doesn't bring this poor woman back. It, it doesn't. But if nothing else, maybe it sends this message saying we're sick to death of this stuff. All right. When we come back, big story number three, the flu is causing some hospitals to take a very interesting position. Stick around. It's 1250. This is Jeff Wagner. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As long as I'm going here, there's another aspect of this story. Okay, the guy had had no valid driver's license. The sister apparently was allowing him to use her truck. Now, I, I that maybe maybe he took this was the first time he took it. Um, but I would be curious. 
as to, you know, she's, I mean, her story is, hey, I, I left the keys out so he would have known where to find them. My guess is this isn't the first time that he has taken this vehicle. Here's what I'd be interested in knowing. Did the sister know that her brother didn't have a valid driver's license? And my guess is, I mean, maybe it's tough to prove, but I would be an interesting line of inquiry if she knew that. See, here's part of the problem. We have all these people that enable enable these folks who drive with revoked or without driver's licenses. This goes back to something I've talked about a long time, and it wouldn't necessarily help in a case like this. But I think if you allow your car to be used by somebody and you know or should have known that that person doesn't have a valid driver's license, I think you should be culpable. I think the car should be stolen, and I think maybe there should be criminal charges. That's, you know, it's one thing for the person who drives, but what about the people who enable this, again, if you knew your brother, you know, your kid doesn't have a valid driver's license and you just let him use your car, yeah, I think that maybe there's some responsibility there as well. All right, big story number three. The flu, it, it's just, it is amazing how bad a flu season this has been and all the different problems that is causing. I, I confess, when I first saw this story yesterday, I sort of rolled my eyes and I thought, oh, is this an overreaction? But, you know, the more and more I think about it, the more I, I think it is a valid concern. Last week, we played this video. It was a viral video of this nurse down in Florida who just come off a 12-hour shift in the emergency room that was packed with people. And she was saying, hey, look, here, here's these advice. This, she was giving people advice. She said, you know, we, we've got the regular emergency stuff. We're swamped with people who have the flu. And she said, here's the deal. Don't come to visit. If you've got some relative that's in the hospital or a friend or a guy you play softball with that's in the hospital with the flu, don't come and visit him because the chances are that you're going to walk out with the flu. And if you've got one kid that's sick, don't bring all your other kids to the hospital or the emergency room because the chances are they're going to walk out and they are going to be sick. And the more I thought about it, I thought this woman made sense, which is why yesterday Children's Hospital of Wisconsin announced that temporarily, this isn't a permanent thing, but temporarily they are not allowing children under the age of 12 to visit patients in the hospital. Um, this doesn't include clinic appointments, so they're not saying you can't bring kids in, but they can't bring kids in to visit. They say this has been one of the most severe flu seasons ever, and um, one of the things that they're seeing is that this is really hitting people who are young, and it's really hitting people who are old. They say that since September, more than 3,800 people in Wisconsin have been hospitalized with the flu. 176 of them are children, and the flu, very, very contagious. So their idea is, hey, you know, the, the kids who are otherwise healthy, don't bring them into the hospital where people are sick. On the one hand, I admit, I thought I kind of rolled my eyes and I thought, oh, is this an overreaction? But the truth is, given how prevalent the flu is, there's really, if you've got somebody who's hospitalized, there's no reason to bring kids in because there's a good chance that maybe they're going to be exposed to the flu. And then next thing you know, everybody they know is going to be exposed exposed to the flu. So this is big story number three. I think some people are criticizing Children's Hospital. 
I think this is, as long as it's a temporary ban, I think this makes a ton of sense. And it makes people maybe just exercise common sense, which is, hey, when there's this bad flu epidemic going around, you don't need to be taking you know, your six-year-old to go visit Uncle Harry in the hospital because your six-year-old might end up getting sick. It's 1257. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 10 minutes maybe, it is my favorite story of the day. Political correctness run amok, or is this just an example of the, well, continuing insensitivity of the white ruling class? Stick around. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is one of the more interesting stories of the day. Drew, who is producing the show today and always. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Did you ever read that book when you were in high school? You did not. You ever seen any of the movies, The Hunchback of Notre Dame? You have seen the movies. You saw the Disney movie. All right. This is this is the millennia. He saw the movie, though. Okay. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was a book written by Victor Hugo. It what used to be taught in high school, published in 1831. And the, the for those of you who haven't seen the Disney movie... Or you know haven't read the book. Um, essentially, it's set in late. It's set in Paris, France, in the late Middle Ages, and it features the story is uh, the, the the hunchback of the title is a guy named Quasimodo. He's the the bell ringer, and the what happens is his guardian falls in love with a woman named Esmeralda, who is, I hope you're not going to be offended by this, but this is Victor Hugo. Um, she She's a beautiful 16-year-old gypsy street dancer. I understand you're not supposed to say gypsy anymore. Some people get offended by that, but it, blame Victor Hugo back in 1831. So that, that's the, the whole thing. And, and what happens is Quasimodo falls in love with Esmeralda, and um, it's a series of miscommunications. And in any event, it's a compelling sort of story. It has been made into multiple movies. Um, one of the first was back in the 1930s. Uh, Charles Lawton played in this. And, and interestingly, the person who played Esmeralda was Maureen O'Hara. Now, you know, this is um, Maureen O'Hara might remember her from, like, The Quiet Man, you know, some of the John Wayne movies and stuff like that. But she played the 16-year-old gypsy street dancer in, in the movies. All right, so that's kind of the background on this. Why are we talking about Victor Hugo and The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Well, they there's many different productions of this. It's been movies. It's been miniseries. It's been plays. And there is a musical, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. All right, here is the story. And I'm not making this up, but I, I want to discuss it because it raises some of these larger issues. There is a, a high school in Ithaca, New York, and for their spring production, they're going to do The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Right? So they have a casting thing. Then they say, okay, you know, come on, we want people to try out for the various spots. People try out to be Quasimodo the Hunchback. You know, people people are trying out for this. And a number of people are trying out to portray Esmeralda, who is the, the you know, the female lead. Big, big role. So they screen all these people. And, of course, if, if you're going to be, if you're going to be performing in a musical, there's, there's a few things. You need to be able to act. 
and you need to be able to perhaps dance a little bit. You need to be able to sing. You know, it's I, I that would, I can't, I can't sing. I can't dance. So I would not be the one to try out for a, a musical. So anyhow, so all these kids go and they try out and they cast this young woman, they cast a young woman as, as Esmeralda. Everybody agrees that the woman that they cast as Esmeralda is a stellar actor, singer, and dancer that any production would be lucky to have, right? So that's, her talent is not at issue. She's one of the most talented performers in the class. Well, where is the controversy? Well, after this young woman got cast, what happened is some of the social justice warriors began protesting her casting as the, in the role of Esmeralda. An African-American student apparently quit the musical because Esmeralda was being given, that role was given to a, wait for it, white classmate. This is what the, the kid says. It shows you that theater wasn't made for you, and it shows you that if you can't get the parts that are written for you, what parts are you going to get? Student activists then banded together under the umbrella of something called Students United Ithaca and wrote a letter that included a list of demands saying this is cultural appropriation, that the role of Esmeralda was, again, written the way it was portrayed in the Victor Hugo books is as a 16-year-old gypsy street dancer. Um, So this group said that it should either be a brown or black female student that should have gotten the role. In the book, the character in question is half Roma, half French, according to the novel. And uh, the group says, hey, look, to cast a, a white performer in this role, cultural appropriation. So um, they then demanded that this woman lose the part. They demanded that the theater director um, resign. They demanded that there be more open awareness into cultural sensitivity, etc., etc. Um, this is the argument that they make. They want to end the racist policy of colorblind uh, casting. Because of institutional racism, colorblind casting results in white children being cast in roles written as white parts and also white children being cast in roles that were specifically intended for people of color. Um, casting cannot be colorblind. 414-799-1620. And as a result of this, the school canceled, canceled the performance so nobody got to play any part. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are these kids nothing but whiners, or do they have a point? Like I say, this character of Esmeralda, originally written as part French, part Romani, um, that, that's how it's portrayed in the book. It's not necessarily, it's, as a matter of fact, it's not an African American, it's not a black character, but it is somebody with that particular characteristics. The, um, school, and nobody argues that the woman who cast, was cast in this role wouldn't do a really good job. Everybody says she's a talented singer, she's a talented dancer, but her problem is she's white, and this role wasn't necessarily written for a white 
person, so she shouldn't have gotten the roles. That's why I started this by saying in the original Hollywood production, Maureen O'Hara, who is about as white as you can get, she played Esmeralda. 414-799-1620. Is this political correctness run amok? Or do these students who are complaining about it, do they have a point? Was this talented young woman taking a position, a role that should have gone to a person of color? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jackie in Sheboygan. Jackie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jackie. So I played Esmeralda in high school. Um, We didn't do the musical version Mm -hmm. of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. We did the more true French version, which was called Le Bossu de Notre Dame. <laughs> and <laughs> very good. I love the accent there. Got it. Okay. Oh. Um, and we were very true to the to the production. But I went to Thomas More on the south side of Milwaukee, and we had um, the art play director was Brother Anthony. <laughs> he was <laughs> religious, and he basically told me, "Okay, you're going to dye your hair black." I mean, right. I'm an Irish Catholic white girl. <laughs> right. You you are not a person of color. Okay, right. Yeah. No, I could never be confused for a person of color. And he was just like, no, your red hair is going to be black. And he gave me a live goat to <laughs> pull on stage with me. And I was a gypsy street dancer. Right. And and, and nobody was upset. I mean, I guess, I guess no, the bigger point no. is, Jackie, would it have been fair to you if you were the best qualified for this particular part to tell you, no, you can't have it simply because you're an, an Irish-American white gal. I would have been very, very hurt by that. And yeah. I think um, it would have just torn the cast apart. You're, you're destroying what kids really benefit from in theater, which is the camaraderie. Um, in sports, you don't always get that because it's the best kids that are on varsity. And it's, you know, it's, it's the best of the best for sports but in theater everyone can participate Mm -hmm. and when you take that away you take away the essence of the benefit of having theater in high school yeah you know the other thing that struck me about this jackie is that this i mean the the character of esmeralda Mm -hmm. i mean again it's written as the the 16 year old you know a gypsy street dancer it's not like it's it's a part which has historically been played by black um or or hispanic you know actor actresses i mean it's maureen o'hara played it i mean it's not like you're it's not like you're even saying okay we have to find a a romani to play this i mean i don't understand what the big deal is between a white or a brown or a a black actress you know whoever is the best singer and dancer don't we want them to get the parts well and that's part of the magic of theater is believing that that person is that character right and color should not come into that Right. Got it. Thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Okay, we continue the conversation. 414-799-1620. Jackie says, hey, I dyed my hair. I played that role. Well, if she was in high school now, particularly in Ithaca High School, she wouldn't have been able to do that because you have the culture warriors out there saying, this is insulting. You know, this is an 1831 book. It was written for, the part was written for a person of color. I'm not sure that that's even correct, but we're going to shut down this production because you shouldn't be able able to cast a white student. Is that really where we are in America in 2018? We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 119. This is Jeff Wagner. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Suzanne in West Bend. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Jeff. Um, as you're describing this you know, so-called problem, I couldn't help but thinking of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's familiar with Hamilton 
you would know that they, they just broke all, you know, r- racial, ethnic barriers. You have a Puerto Rican playing Hamilton himself. You have Aaron Burr played by an African-American. Two of the Schuyler sisters are African-American. I mean, it didn't matter, you know, what he was trying to show there. I think one of the things, at least, is that the story transcended ethnicities. Is it was a universal story, and I think it's the same thing here with the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, if this girl was truly the most talented student that auditioned, then she absolutely should have gotten the part. Well, right, and, and nope, that's the interesting thing. Nobody argues that, that this woman isn't talented and is a, isn't a great performer. Matter of fact, even the complainers, they can see that. They just say, hey, this is cultural appropriation. This was a this is a part that Victor Hugo wrote as a gypsy. She's not. She's like our, our last caller, the you know Irish-American. She shouldn't be able to play that part. Well, how, you're, you're right. How, how would you have a Hamilton then? It would be like, all right, well, Alex Alexander Hamilton was an old white man. We can't have black people or Puerto Rican people playing in in those in that show at all. And you can't and, have it both ways. Yeah, and I mean Hamilton is just one of the most popular Broadway musicals ever. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, but it's it's this whole idea of this cultural appropriation. I'm getting a number of texts which actually do make the other point about how really stunningly dumb that this particular complaint is because um, gypsy, and I understand some people find that to be an offensive term, and I'm just using it for the ease of description because that's how the, the character is portrayed in, in the book. But, I mean, where you know, where, where does it say anywhere that somebody who is, you know, is a gypsy, that, that that's, that's, a, that's a black role or that's an Hispanic role? I mean, it's, it's really more... Like a Hungarian, or I mean, it's Romani, which is like a Hungarian or Sicilian. I mean, it, it's something like that. It, it's it, it's not something for that automatically you would say, oh, th- this is a part that has to be played by somebody who's Hispanic, or this is a part that has to be played by somebody who's who's black. Bottom line of all this is, if we're going to get past the real racism that exists in this world what we have to do is we stop we have to stop getting hung up on the stupid stuff and here is an example i think where you had the culture warriors who jumped onto something that was genuinely stupid and of course rather than simply stand up and say you know just stand up to this group, what the school ended up doing was just giving in. All right, well, we're going to cancel the whole production. Well, as a result, yeah, the gal doesn't get to play Esmeralda, but nobody gets to portray the parts. I guess I'm wondering, here's my question, Gru, who's producing the show today. My question is, who's going to stand up for the Hunchbacks? I I mean, seriously, that's the name character. I mean, if they... I don't know who got cast in the role of a hunchback, but if they cast somebody who's not legitimately a hunchback, I mean, are we going to be true to the Victor Hugo story as well? Is this discrimination against the hunchbacks? Is this cultural appropriation? It's just political correctness run amok. All right, when we come back, the transportation budget, well, I think everybody agrees that you need more money to pay for roads. At least some in the legislature say there may be a consensus. I'll tell you all about that. Stick around. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hunchbacks of America unite. Just saying. It's 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, it looks like um, we've got a snowstorm coming our way. 
estimates are it's supposed to start sometime tomorrow, late afternoon, and then uh, worse, perhaps Friday morning, again, hitting with in connection with uh, the rush hour. The, the estimates are kind of all over the map, but they're saying, particularly in the southern part of our listening area, it could get six to maybe as much as nine inches less as you go further north. But again, I think this is one of these things where you, you want to keep it tuned to WTMJ because I suspect this is another one of those deals where if the track of the storm system moves a little bit one way or the other, it could make a dramatic difference as to how much uh, snow we get. And th- this just... For everybody who says, oh, it's been a mild winter, we're not getting much snow, I I always make the point that things tend to average out. And my experience as somebody who has lived in Wisconsin for almost all of my life is that it's – if we start off with a really bad winter, you know, really cold weather and getting whooped by snow, it, it tends to kind of level out, and February and March tends to be not as bad. On the other hand, if we start out with a really mild winter, don't get a lot of snow, then all of a sudden it kind of evens out. And actually, my guess is by the time we get done with this weekend, we're going to be above the average snowfall total for this time, you know, again, on an average of February. So this kind of goes and comes. Now, the good thing about getting the snow in mid-February, early to mid-February, as opposed to early to mid-January, is, well, if you look at next week, the long-range forecast, a lot of temperatures in the 30s, so there's going to be some melting and stuff. It's not like sometimes you get it the first week in January, and then we get that polar vortex that descends, and you know there's no melting at all, and it's there for, the snow is there for the better part of a month. Um, but it does look like we're going hit, to get hit by a little bit of snow coming up. Fifty years ago, the Tet Offensive changed the Vietnam War. Today, you can make a difference for the men and women who served there. Find out how at 3.30 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. By the way, speaking of Wisconsin's Afternoon News, we had John McCure on in this hour of the program yesterday. The, the latest WTMJ Cares initiative is, is a really very, it's a very cool one. Um, and we, we've had a number of partners that are willing to make, the, that have stepped up to make this work, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks. Here's the deal. Um, the Bucks are making tickets available to the game on February 27th when the Bucks play at home at the Bradley Center against the Washington Wizards. Here is the deal. For 100 bucks, and every dime of that goes to the honor flight to send Vietnam veterans to see the Washington to Washington to see the wall and, and other things. Hundred bucks, you get a ticket to the Bucks game, you get an invitation to a party that's going to be held at Turner Hall beforehand. Everybody in the group goes over, you sit together at the Bucks game. It's a great opportunity to again contribute to a worthwhile cause. And again, because of all the different uh, sponsors that have stepped up, every dime that we raise, every dime we raise goes to, again, the Honor Flight. So um, you can check it out, WTMJ Cares, and the Wisconsin's Afternoon uh, sections of WTMJ.com. All right. We have been wrestling for the last several years with how to pay for road improvements around here. Um, One of the things that's created a lot of controversy is the expansion of I-94 from the Marquette Interchange to the Zoo Interchange, uh, an expansion that is badly needed. You know, that's on hold, in part because people like Tom Barrett don't support it, but in part because we, we have to prioritize things around here, and the question is, where is the money going to come from? We've got the Zoo Interchange project that's going on. You've got the widening of um, I-94 between 
the Milwaukee County line and down to the state line, something that's even more important because of Foxconn. So you've got all these different priorities, and that's just southeastern Wisconsin. We've got road needs all over the state. The gasoline tax is the primary, that and registration fees are the primary ways that road improvements are paid for. One of the interesting dilemmas, though, is that as cars become more efficient or as people turn to hybrids or electric cars, they don't need to buy as much gasoline. Well, the gasoline tax you pay by, you know, every gallon you, you purchase. So if people are driving, gee, I'm getting 40 miles a gallon and I used to get 20, or I don't use gasoline hardly at all because I drive a hybrid, they're, they're not buying as much gasoline, so they're driving just as much, but the gas tax revenue isn't generating, it, regenerating as much, and we have all these needs. So people are looking at all sorts of different ways to come and get this to raise money. Uh, a gas tax increase has pretty much been ruled out by Governor Walker, and I support him on that. You can raise the registration fees, but that's only going to generate so much money. That's not going to get you what you need to do what needs to be done. So one of the other ideas that's being thrown around is the idea of open road tolling. Now, what is open road tolling? Well, in general, open road tolling is what they call free flow tolling, Um They do a variation of this in Illinois. It's the collection of tolls on toll roads, largely without the use of toll booths. So, you know, it used to be, you know, you drive on a toll road, you come up and there's a plaza and it's staffed by all these people and you get in these lines and you wait and you see the person and then you end up giving them the money. Um, Free flow tolling, open road tolling is really it's an electronic toll collection system. Um, typically what happens is you will get a, a card or a pass or something that you then stick on your, your rearview mirror or your windshield or, or whatever, and it's an electronic reader. And what happens is as you go through the toll booth, it just – the electronics read your your – your scanner, your electronic device, and you've got an account, and your account ends up getting charged. Now, the effect of this is you don't have to slow down. You know, you don't have to wait. Gee, there's 10 cars in front of me to give people money. You just go through. Um, Also, what can happen with this is that on on certain occasions, like in Illinois, what happens is if you – if you're from out of state and you don't travel on these roads and you don't have one of these eye passes or whatever, you, you can, again, throw change into the bins as you get off. There's cameras there typically, so if you blow through one of these and don't pay, you get a notice, you have seven days to make good on it, otherwise you're going to get a nasty ticket. So that's the idea behind open road tolling. Uh, today, apparently Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald um, said, look, gas tax is dead in the water, but if we need to qualify for federal highway funding as part of this new infrastructure initiative that's there, one of the things that we could do is um, we, we could be open to, again, this open road tolling. Um, the idea of something similar to what we they do in Illinois or they do in Indiana or they do in a lot of other neighboring states. You would need federal permission um, on the interstate highways to begin this this tolling. You need federal permission. But 
if everybody was behind it, I think that uh, they feel that the federal government would sign off on this. So typically, if you're driving on these things, what you would normally do for people driving regularly is you get your, in Illinois, they call them I-passes. You get your I-pass, you put money into your account, and your account is just debited as you drive through these. That would be as an alternative to the gas tax increase or a vehicle registration, a wheel tax increase, and it would charge the people who are actually using the roads for the privilege of driving on them. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Open road tolling. Is this an idea whose time has come? It appears Republicans and Democrats in the state legislature um, are, are pretty much getting on board with this. The governor, um, you know, he hasn't come out one way or the other, but he appears to be a little bit open to this as well. Everybody complains about the roadways. We need to repair the roads and we need to grow the roads. So is this the way to do it? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss next. Open road tolling. Is it an idea? We were talking about Victor Hugo earlier. Is it an idea whose time has come? We discuss next. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. I'm not opposed to open road tolling or toll roads in general, but I strongly caution that it must not be implemented by private firms like the proposed uh, Milwaukee County Parks Parking, who would keep much of the revenue for themselves. Note that in some parts of the county in the country, that's exactly how it got done quickly with no public investment, but with far too much of the revenue going to outsiders forever. Deb in Hales Corners. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Deb. Um, I actually have an iPass, and I travel through Illinois quite often, mm-hmm. uh, my husband and I, to see our uh, kids and grandkids in Indiana. Right. Um, do I think Wisconsin needs it? No. Um, if they're going to run it like Illinois, maybe they can tag on to it because the iPass in Illinois is actually good all the way through to the East Coast. I can travel New York, New Hampshire, all those places. With my iPad. Yeah, it's interesting you um, mentioned that. My, my best friend um, was in Washington. Now he lives in Milwaukee, but he was in Washington, D.C. for a number of years and then later on in Pennsylvania. And, yeah. you know, whenever we, we drove to uh, Canton, Ohio, actually, for the Brett Favre Hall of Fame induction, and he still has the iPass. And, and it, it was good. It was good through Ohio. It was good through Indiana. Yeah. It was good through Illinois. It was, just, it was actually very, very convenient. You didn't have to slow down and stop at those toll booths at all. Well, no, and the other thing, too, is Illinois just changed it as of January. Um, we have our kids on it because they would go to Indiana and back, and our son would come up with the kids. So we had, like, you could put 10 different cars on one transponder, one iPass thing. And it didn't matter what car had right. it um, because it would just read the license plate that's attached to your account. But now what in Illinois did to get more revenue is, you can still have those 10 cars on one account, but each car has to have a transponder, and that those are $10 a piece. Okay, yeah. So now all the kids have to get their own, only because we just don't want to do the hassle. But as far as the tolls being needed in Wisconsin, I, I would feel, you know, I don't know. I don't think, I love driving through Wisconsin and seeing the countryside, 
And I don't know that I would like to see toll booths along those beautiful farm fields and everywhere else going mm-hmm. up north or out west. And, you know, I think there's other ways to find the money. Okay, tell me, what, 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 if you were the queen, Deb, what... And that's my maiden name, so. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, okay. What would be, uh, what, what would be, if we assume for the sake of argument that we, we need to generate additional revenue? Now, because I'm one of these guys that always argues tax increases or fee increases should be the last ditch thing. But, but let's just assume for the sake of argument that they do need to find a way for more revenue. What would your choice be? Gas tax or increased wheel taxes or what, what would you, where would you get the money from? Definitely not charging parking for the park. Um, <laughs> that would not work. Right. Um, the wheel tax, I don't know. Okay. You know, obviously there's an increase. Gas tax, well, you know, that's part of life. You know, you, you need to drive somewhere. Gas tax would probably be my choice okay. of, of if okay. I had a choice. But I just think that seeing all those toll booths and everything uh, within the state of Wisconsin would I, I just don't see it. I mean, if you can charge them like in Kansas, where you actually come into the state, you drive all over the place, and once you get off, then you pay the fee as one fee. Right, right. Like the yeah, some of the like some of the tollways and stuff like that. Now, the one thing that that I'm okay, I'm going to put on my recovering lawyer hat here. I, I am very, very confident. As some people would say, well, here's what you do. Let, let's nail the out-of-state people. Let's put the toll booths like at the Illinois-Wisconsin border and the Minnesota-Wisconsin border. That, let's do that. I, I'm, I am reasonably confident that you're not going to be able to legally do that. You can't just punish people who are coming into the state. You'd have to have the toll booths on all, all over, essentially, you know, on the on the interstates. I, I think I'm pretty confident that, that would ultimately be how the courts shake out. And, and again, maybe you don't accept my premise that we need to raise extra money. And and I think, I mean, I, I just keep hearing this from all these different politicians that you know what we're doing right now for the growth that we need and the improvements we need is unsustainable. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see Jim in Green Bay. Hi Jim, you're on WTMJ. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, the toll booth idea that the it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why it's any better than the gas tax. And in fact, the gas tax some time ago, I calculated that if you account for inflation and you account for the fuel efficiency of the cars, I went back to 1980. We are currently paying the lowest gas tax since 1980 when adjusted for inflation and efficiency. Gas tax is a user-based tax. The more you use the roads, the more gas tax you pay. Yeah, but how do you account, and, and it is, but how do you account then for, for example, one of my friends and colleagues who doesn't use gas, he drives a Prius. That doesn't you and throws that in my face all the time. Doesn't doesn't use gas. How do we accommodate for the the hybrid vehicles that are getting you know fifty and sixty miles a gallon? Okay, I had heard from somebody and I didn't find that it's true or not, but he made the comment that he has a Prius mm-hmm. and his registration fees are higher yep. because he's got a hybrid. Right. So if you're looking for a solution for that, you know that be you know that's one option. Okay, so but your solution, rather than tolling, you, you think you'd, you'd be in favor of a gas tax increase? Yeah, especially since it's lowest than it's been for, for yeah. some time. Yeah, so no, I, it, it, I'm agreement that let's not increase taxes, but the reality is it's not an increase, it's a catch up. 
tax that we should have been doing all along anyway. Well, it's yeah, it's. I mean, it used to be, Jim. Thanks to call that it would used the gas tax used to be indexed indexed for inflation, and it would automatically increase. And then what happened is politicians said, "No, we're we're just you know if we're going to increase the gas tax, we want people to have to go out and take a vote to do it." And nobody has been inclined to to do that. Um, you're right, the gas tax has been frozen. Now the registration fees have gone up, and so what you have to do is you have to look at it as part of an overall plan. My Again, my, my concern, I understand that you say the gas tax is a user fee, but it really doesn't account for you know the, the different mileages that, people, that cars get. One of the other solutions that people have thrown out there is an idea of when you have your car, when you register your car every year, you pay based on the mileage of, of how much you've driven. That intellectually is appealing, but my my concern is that's just rife with fraud. I mean, how, how you, you've already got all sorts of people who don't register their cars now and don't go through that. How are you going to collect? You know, if it turns out I've driven fifteen or twenty thousand miles, it's one of the reasons why the IRS. You know, that's why you have withholding. They take the money out of your check, your paycheck up front, because if they didn't, they're afraid that people wouldn't pay it. Um, I'm just not sure how, at the end of the year, gee, Jeff, you drove 15,000 miles, write us a check for X amount of dollars. My guess is it would be very, very difficult to collect that from a number of people. In any event, this open road tolling idea is out there, and it appears to be gaining some momentum, like I say, with Republicans and Democrats in the legislature. I don't think it's a bad idea, necessarily. I think still where we need to be sold on the idea is that there isn't room in the budget right now to find excesses. I'm just not at the point where I'm convinced that we've cut all we can possibly cut. Once you get to that point, I I think, candidly, I think I like open road tolling better than I like an increase in the gas tax, or certainly better than I like an increase in registration fees. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. we got a lot of stuff coming up on the program, including who doesn't love a parade? Stick around. 208, Jeff Wagner. Eric, Bill said, this is just too good. This is, this is just too good. Now, I, I confess that I, I continue to believe that 10 years from now, if Martians land in Cathedral Park and look at Tom's trolley folly, this, this streetcar that nobody is going to be riding and the streets all torn up, the Martians are going to look at each other and fly away, convinced there is no intelligent life on Earth, <laughs> at least not in Milwaukee. All right. I understand that Barrett wants this to be his legacy. This is where he's investing his stock. I, I just think it is an incredibly dumb thing. For those of us who have been streetcar opponents from the beginning, one of the points that I have been making all along is they don't, they don't react well in cold weather. I mean, don't tell me all oh, this works in Atlanta or something. Okay, first of all, the population is different, but we're not Atlanta. We have, we have what, what's coming over the next day? Six to nine inches of snow. Is that mm-hmm. what they're talking yep, about? Yep. Could be, could and, be. And and what have we had? You know, off and on for the last month and a half. Well, it, it's winter, so we get really, really cold weather. All right, so this is too good. You you pointed this out, but but in just a matter of a couple minutes, I have it. Here's the headline. This is this is Cincinnati. Cincinnati has a streetcar. Streetcar shut down again. Cold weather continues to pose problems for the Cincinnati Bell Connector. That's uh, their equivalent of Tom's Trolley Folly. We received this message this morning from Cincinnati Metro. Streetcar service suspended due to ice. 
Streetcar service is currently suspended due to heavy icing on the street's overhead contact wires caused by last night's storm. Streetcar staff is working diligently to resolve the issue and restore service as soon as possible. Updates will be provided on social media as information is available. Okay. Ice. Cold. Streetcar doesn't work. Huh. What? (laughs) What's your point, Jeff? Where are you going with this? Where am I going with this? Okay. Well, it gets better. All right. It it gets better. See, this is what my inquiring mind wants to know. It said, the headline says, streetcar shut down again. All right. So you, you could say, okay, Wagner. You know, you, you just don't like Barrett. You're just one of these negative things. This is this freak thing that the streetcar has been shut down. It's this freak storm, you know, that, that once that once every hundred years storm that has now shut down the, the streetcar. But I was intrigued by the headline, not streetcar shut down first time, streetcar shut down again. <laughs> so just in that, that space available, just that, since I saw this story a couple minutes ago, I started, this is the great thing about Al Gore inventing the Internet. All right, so I found this story from the Cincinnati something or other from uh, about three weeks ago. All right, Cincinnati streetcar down at least until Monday for repairs. Here's the deal. The Cincinnati streetcar got off to a roaring start in September of 2016 on a blue-skied sunny day. But now, 16 months into its run, city leaders and streetcar operators say the city's five streetcars, manufactured in Spain by CAF USA, isn't that where we're getting ours from, from Talgo, Spain? Okay, they say the city's streetcars often don't work in cold temperatures. So you could turn your mic on. You're laughing, Bill Stad. See, this is, I mean, okay, th- this is what all of us have been saying. Okay, so Cincinnati, here's, a, the, the, I, I, honest to God, hand in the air. This is the story. On Wednesday, when low temperatures dipped into single digits, well, hell, this is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You will go weeks, and we are in single digits. On Wednesday, when low temperatures dipped into single digits, which is a big deal in Cincinnati, all five streetcars were out of service. Not a single one of them worked in the cold. Thursday afternoon, the Southwest, this is from three weeks ago. Uh, now, the streetcar shut down now because they, they had snow and ice. Oh, it's not like we're going to get that in Milwaukee. Thursday afternoon, this is a couple of weeks ago, the Southwest Ohio Regional Transit Authority, which manages the streetcar for the city, announced it will be down until at least Monday, so that's five days, to allow work on correcting numerous issues related to manufacturing and design defects. Until the streetcars are fixed, they're going to run buses along the line. You can't make this stuff up. Okay, it gets better. It gets better. Okay, so they're going to run buses on this line. Gee, rubber-tired buses that actually can go on these streets. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Okay, then the story continues. This isn't the first instance of issues. On New Year's Eve, four of the five cars wouldn't work either. It's unacceptable, said the city manager. They built these vehicles, and they must fix them. And then it kind of goes on and on and on about how these things don't work when it snows. They don't work when you get sleet. They don't work when it's cold. Huh. All right. Let's tear up the streets and put these things in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
you can't make this up, Eric. You just can't. <laughs> Still don't know what your point is. <laughs> yeah, what, what exactly is the, uh, what is this? Oh, so then the article, the decision to build the streetcar came under the previous administration, the mayor in the previous administration. Um, da, 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 they chose that, et cetera. See, that's, that's the, that's the thing. What, what's going to happen is Barrett's going to leave office soon. I mean, maybe I don't think he's going to run for re-election again. I think it's probably six-five pick him. Whether with all the bad stuff going on in the city, he even lasts out this term. But okay, he he's gonna he's gonna be gone after you know when when this thing finally starts operating. And once we start having all these problems, and it's not running in the cold, it's not running in cold. Gee, single digits, the thing freezes up. Single digits. Wow. All right. Then you got the snow. It won't run in the snow. Then you've got the ice. It won't run in the ice. Huh. They debut it on a nice day in September. Oh, it works great. Well, this is, you cannot make this stuff up. And this is Cincinnati. And, and like I'm saying, oh, don't, don't tell me, oh, this works great in Austin, Texas, or whatever. Okay, well, this is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All I know is you look at the Cincinnati, and I'm not making this up. It's closed. Their streetcar, not a single one of the cars is running um, a couple weeks ago because it was in single digits. Not a single car is running today because they had snow. <laughs> I just... All right, and how many hundreds of, how many millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars are we spending on this silly thing? Like I say, I mean, seriously, we're going to build it. Barrett is going to limp out of town. It is going to be a disaster that's going to be left to the next mayor to start to clean up. And I hate to be this guy. I hate to be this guy. But for at least a handful of us, there is a giant, I told you so, that is waiting. And I'm sure there's people in Cincinnati that are saying, I told you so. But, of course, the mayor that pushed this through, he's gone now. So, you know, all you're left with is the remains and the wreckage of the streetcar thing. So all you guys need to know is as you try to drive around downtown Milwaukee and you can't get anywhere because the streets are torn up because they're putting in the rails for the streetcar, just keep in mind that um, you're not going to be, even if you wanted to ride that streetcar, you're not going to be able to ride it when it snows, or you're not going to be able to ride it when it sleets, and you're not going to be able to ride it when it's cold. Huh. (laughs) You cannot make this stuff up. This is what's going on in Cincinnati right now, and, gee, you wonder why some of us oppose the trolley. It is 2-16. When we come back, some people want a parade. Other people say no. Stick around. 219 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stop it, you're killing me. That, remember we had the story a week and a half ago about like the, 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 the hospital jumpers, like the homeless folks that check themselves into the emergency rooms and then refuse to leave. And you know, one of the downtown hospitals was criticized because they're, they've got an emergency room full of flu patients and stuff, and the guy refuses to leave, and they put him out on the street and how terrible they are. Well, I mean, one of the good things about the trolleys is you're, you're, you, you might – you might be able to divert the jumpers from going to the emergency room because, what, for the first year of this trolley in Milwaukee, it's going to be free. So there might be some ridership. It's going to be the homeless people because, again, during the winter, you you want to ride around on some place that's warm. You hop on the trolley. Now, the problem is, as we know from what's going on in Cincinnati now, the things don't run in the cold. So you're going to have a trolley 
full of homeless people who are looking for a place to stay warm that isn't running because they don't run in the cold and they don't run in the snow and they don't run in the ice. So maybe they're going to be back in the hospitals regardless. But this this is just going to be such an epic fail. And it's going to all be over. It's going to be on Tom Barrett. This is what his legacy is going to be. And the handful of members of the Common Council that got guppied in and went along with this on the promise that even though this trolley was going to do nothing for their districts, at some point in time, it'll be such a success that we'll expand this all over the city so you'll get some advantage of it. Um, I think not. I think not. All right. President Trump wants a parade. Uh, the Washington Post reporting that President Trump, actually since one of his visits to, to France, um, he, he's wanted a military parade. Um, the marching orders were, I want a parade like the one in France. And um, what happens is, you know, every Bastille days, France has this military parade. The last military parade and we're talking about you know down the streets of washington dc with thousands and thousands of troops and tanks and all that type of stuff the last one was in 1991 in the u.s when 8800 u.s troops and weapons that helped the united states win the persian gulf war against saddam hussein were celebrated in washington now President Trump says he wants his own military parade with soldiers marching, tanks rolling down the boulevards. Um, apparently, um, Washington Post has confirmed that military officials have begun planning a grand military parade for later this year, showcasing the might of America's armed forces. Now, this raises all sorts of red flags, because like I say, we did this in this country in 1991, but it was as a celebration of the United States' win in the Persian Gulf War. Um, people like Vladimir Putin and the leader of North Korea, they, they do them routinely. And so we in America have been reluctant to do that. Now, in France they do it, but this, this parade is a tradition that goes back to 1880s. And, you know, it kind of transcends military reasons. Um, President Trump wants one of these. The estimates are it will cost millions of dollars to put one together. They're talking about doing it maybe in the summer or maybe in November for Veterans Day. Let's open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I'm not going to make you wait to hear what I have to say about this. I think this is a very, very bad idea. I I think this sends the wrong message. If the idea is to use a parade like this to send the impressions of American military might, I I think it's it's an empty gesture. I think it is going to be a distraction. I think it is going to cost a lot of money. I have no problem. For example, U.S. wins a war. You win the Persian Gulf War. Outstanding. You know, let's have that celebration. It was appropriate in 1991. It is not appropriate in 2018. I think President Trump should scrap plans to do this. What do you think? 414-799-1620. I love a good parade. Don't get me wrong. I don't think this is the way to go. Do we need a massive military parade to celebrate the American military and make a show of American military might 
across the world. 414-799-1620. Good idea, bad idea. We discuss next. It's 224. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks turn south for the Sunshine State portion of their four-game road trip. They're in South Beach Friday night to take on the Miami Heat. A tanned Ted Davis will be courtside with Buckshot's coverage starting at 6.40 on Friday. A tanned Ted Davis. Okay, we all realize that this is radio, so we're not going to be able to see Ted, but all right, Ted Davis is actually a great guy, and I hope he gets a good tan if that works out. A couple days in Miami and uh, and Orlando, I'm not sure that's going to do it, but give him a chance. Um, I I have there is nobody around that has a greater respect for the military th- than I do, and I think that we should celebrate our military every chance we get. Um, and that's not just current active duty military, but that is veterans a- as well. And I think that's all a tremendous sort of thing. I think this idea of having a giant military parade is ill-conceived. I I don't think this is the appropriate way of going about celebrating the military. And, And again, to me, it's the kind of thing that you see from totalitarian states. It's the kind of thing you see from you know, Russia, where there's the huge military show, and they've got the planes, and they've got the missiles. It's the type of thing that you see from a dictator in North Korea. It's not the type of thing I think you see from most democracies. Now, having said that, I concede that they do this in France, and that is apparently where President Trump got the idea from, because he saw this massive parade in France. But but they've done it since 1880. It, it's tied around Bastille days, and so there's this historical significance going back 130-some-odd years or or whatever. We do not have that tradition in this country. Look, I I think that there's all sorts of advantages to making sure people understand that America's military is strong. It is the top military in the world. And there's all sorts of ways you can reinforce and show that point. But you you don't need to have one of these parades. And candidly, um, I don't know about you, but... I I would be, I think, perhaps a little bit troubled by the image of, I don't know, the, the president standing out on the porticos behind the White House, you know, where you have a 35-minute parade with all these soldiers, an hour and 35-minute parade with soldiers and tanks and things like that. That's, that's not the historical tradition of this country. And I, I don't know that just from from an image sort of projective from what's the phrase we use now the optics of a situation i'm not sure that that's the good optical thing i'm also not convinced at all that it's the best use of money i mean if we've got millions of dollars to spend on something all right and we want to really help the military let's spend it on better benefits for veterans as opposed to staging a parade just saying all right when we come back a lot of stuff left on today's program Why shouldn't you be able to carry a gun to a job site in the city of Milwaukee? And she wants to remain anonymous. Two thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Getting a number of texts and emails. That 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 streetcar thing wasn't a bit. It's it's just. it, It would be funny if it wasn't so sad about how we're getting ready to just completely pee away tens of millions of dollars on this Tom Trolley folly. Cincinnati has a streetcar. They've had it since 2016. You know what they find? 
they find it doesn't work when it gets cold. It is regularly shut down. The cars don't run when it gets into single digits. Hmm. All right. Then, like, it's shut down today because they had snow in Cincinnati yesterday. Hmm. All right. What are the lessons here? So don't tell me, well, it works in Atlanta. Well, this isn't Atlanta, but that is Tom's trolley folly. I, I did something this morning, Rue. On the way, when I had some errands to run this morning. I stopped by the Village Hall in my community, and I voted because uh, the primary election is two weeks from yesterday, and I'm gonna I'm on vacation that, that week. I'm going to be out of town. And so I, I wanted to make sure I, I voted. There's, there's, not, there's nothing on my ballot um, except a, an election which is on your ballot as well. It's on everybody's ballot. There is a primary for the state Supreme Court. And I, I know we say this all the time, but this election has special significance. Supreme Court justices are very important. They are the last bastion of sanity, keeping us from being dominated by um, Dane County liberal judges. Um, Remember when we had Act 10, we had all that stuff, the the cases were always heard by Dane County judges who turned backflips in an effort to try to stop the legislature and the governor from passing different laws. Ultimately, the reason we have Act 10, the reason we have a lot of the anti-crime stuff is because you have a state Supreme Court that believes in the rule of law and believes that, hey, there's different roles. And just because we might not like a particular piece of legislation doesn't mean we have the power to overrule it. State Supreme Court justices are in extremely important positions. They are there for 10 year terms right now. There is a, a five to two conservative liberal split on the Supreme Court. Um, there are five, and when I say conservative, I mean judicial conservatives. I mean people who have a basic philosophy that the role of the court is not to set up themselves as a super justice to determine what the law should be. All right, but rather to determine what the law is. Five conservatives, two liberals. One of those five conservatives, uh, Michael Gableman, is is stepping down. He's not running for re-election. There are three people running to replace him, and the primary election is on the 20th, two weeks from yesterday. The three people that are running, the top two will emerge for the final election in, in early April. But there, there are three. You're hearing ads from the conservative. Michael Scranach, who's a uh, Sauk County judge, he is the judicial conservative. Make no doubt about it. He's the guy that's saying, okay, my, my role isn't to make the law. It's not to manufacture the law. It's not to be result-oriented. My job is to interpret the law and the Constitution appropriately. There are two liberals that are running. One is Rebecca Dallet. She is a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, need I say more, who has been running more and more to the left. Um, interesting campaign. She started off by taking the traditional approach of saying, hey, I'm, I'm not going to give my opinion on legal issues and things like that. She has been forced to move very, very far to the left because of the third candidate. He's a guy named Tim Burns, who's not a judge not a justice. He's a corporate lawyer out of Madison who is way, way, way out there. 
Uh, I mean, I'm talking about wacky lefty. And he's running a Supreme Court campaign like I have never seen before. Matter of fact, I saw one of his ads today. Normally, judges try to hide where they are politically. And normally, judges will say, hey, look, I'm not going to talk about cases. I'm here to interpret the law. Burns isn't doing that. Burns is running ads. He is essentially running for governor, except he's running for the state Supreme Court. He comes out and he says, I'm a, I was looking at the ad today. I, I'm a Democrat, all right? Um, I'm here to rein in Scott Walker, and I'm here to rein in big business and do all this stuff. He's not talking about what the role of a Supreme Court justice would be or should be. He's saying, hey, I'm a politician. You know, and, and this is what I'm going to do. You want to check Scott Walker, you vote for me. Well, that might be a great campaign slogan. And if, if he wanted to do that, then he should become the 17th or the 18th or the 77th person running for governor. It is scary, though, that somebody is doing this, wanting to be on the state Supreme Court. Because what he is essentially saying is, the law doesn't matter to me. Whether it's a good law or a bad law, it doesn't matter to me. I am going to be the liberal vote, and I'm going to do everything I can to stop conservatives from passing laws. It is something that, at least in my opinion, is not only inappropriate, but it is scary. Scary for somebody who wants to be a Supreme Court justice who is essentially saying, and this is the way I interpret the ads, the law does not matter. I'm You elect me. I'm going to rein in Scott Walker, and I'm going to rein in big companies. I'm going to do this. Well, I want a judge or a justice to be someone who is going to follow the law. Now, under normal circumstances, Tim Burns would have no chance of of getting elected and no chance of coming out of a primary. This is not necessarily normal circumstances. I understand right now, you know, there's all this turmoil about, you know, um, what is the effect that President Trump has? Is there a carryover into states? Is the hard, crazy left going to be so mobilized that they're going to just turn out and they're just blindly going to vote for somebody who is grossly unqualified and who is talking about themes that candidly are scary and something that I would never thought I would have heard from somebody who wants to be a Supreme Court justice? There's a couple things that tell me, though, that Burns's message, at least among the kook fringe, might be getting some traction. One is the fact that a number of political analysts of mine out, out state, and I'll, I'll ask him about this race, and I think the general thinking is that Mike Skrennick, Judge Skrennick, he's going to come through, he's going to get the conservative vote, and the conventional wisdom has always been that Rebecca Dallet, um, female, she's a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, she is more moderate than Burns, not to say that she's not liberal, but she's more moderate than Burns, that those will be the two that emerge. And I have political analysts saying, Jeff, first of all, you don't get it, you're 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 being myopic. You're in southeastern Wisconsin. You you don't understand how Burns is playing among like the Madison lefties. The again, kind of that that Bernie Sanders type of approach. Said you know people don't care about what the role of a Supreme Court justice is. They just want somebody. They want to win an election, and they want a hardcore lefty. And they don't care if it's scary and it's got all the possibilities of this completely upending the court. They're going to vote for Burns because they want to send a message and stop Donald Trump. Now, there's a big disconnect there, but that's one of the things. The other thing that tells me that Burns might be getting some traction is the fact that Dalit, who started off running a traditional campaign, hey, I'm a judge, 
I, I'm not going to talk about issues that might come before the court, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to follow the law. She has now started moving very far to the left a- as well, um, talking about how I disagree with this. I would have voted this other way. I would have voted with the liberal bloc. And that tells me that she must think that she's at least in a little bit of trouble because she's starting to move to the far left, not ceding that to Burns, if you follow what I'm saying. I think actually Dalit has now gone so far to the left that if she w- is one of the top two vote getters in the primary, she's going to have a lot of trouble getting back to to any semblance of the center. But that's another story. You know, you don't have to worry about that unless you're one of the top two finishers. So uh, it's it's one of the most amazing ads, this one that Burns is running. But this Supreme Court race, and we always say this, but this this is particularly important because, like I say, the one of these people who's running is just from the perspective of the job he's running for. It, he's it's it's crazy. I'm not saying he's crazy, but I'm saying the way they are running and the claims that they are making and the promises they are making and running. Again, he's running against Scott Walker, and that's fine. If he wanted to run against Scott Walker, he should have run as a Democrat in the primary, not, not um, as uh, somebody who you know wants to uh, again be a Supreme Court justice. And it's just, it's just a scary thing that's out there. So again, you need to get out and, and vote. You know, I voted today. To, for me, it was a pretty clear choice. You know, I voted today in the primary. But, um, you know, if if somehow th- this Tim Burns should get through the primary, you know, you're going to see a scorched earth theory moving forward. David and Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Uh, you know, I, I have heard Mr. Burns on a different radio station, and he's made it very clear that he is going to push every progressive agenda, yeah, uh, and that he's going to strike down anything that's passed by the uh, governor or the you know with the state legislature. He automatically will, yeah. will rally against it. He's already said that. Yeah, he, and and think about. I mean, think about that, David. Deal. I mean, think <laughs> about that, David. You have a guy who wants to be on the Supreme Court who's essentially saying, "I don't care what the law is," and he's making no secret about it. I I am here to. Advance my lefty agenda, even if it's if it's something that the legislature passes and the governor signs, and I don't like it, I'm going to vote against it. That's that is frightening for American yeah. jurisprudence. And and as far as the other judges you're speaking of with her, I you know that is scary that she's trying to outdo his. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess going to the left, which means she has no backbone either. I mean, she's just trying to. To get in there just to do what she has to do, and and I I think you're right. She sees she's in trouble, but at the same token, I, I mean that's where we're down to is you know. Uh, well, you have a choice. I mean, you, you do have a choice. I mean, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, you know, Mike's Judge Scranick, who is the Sauk County judge. I mean, he you, you hear his ads. He's running the ads on on my on this radio station and others, saying, "Hey, I I, I believe in this thing called the rule of law." And, I, I mean, I'm going to view the law. I'm going to interpret the law. That's what you want judges to do, not decide, gee, I don't like Act 10. I don't like the results of that, so I am going to strike it down. That, I, I can't believe that Burns gets through the primary. I, I can't. 
But again, I have people out state saying, well, no, you've, you've got these angry lefties out here, particularly like in Dane County and stuff, and they, they want to send a message to Donald Trump, so they want to vote for Tim Burns. Go figure. It's 247. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 50 years ago, the Tet Offensive changed the Vietnam War. Today, you can make a difference for the men and women who served there. Find out how at 3.30 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Check that out. Um, <laughs> this, this is kind of, I lump this in the category of the ultimate first world problem. Um, in many states... The deal is, and it's in the small print when you buy a lottery ticket, that you give up your right to privacy. In other words, if you win, the lottery reserves the right to publicize your name. Now, why does a lottery want to do this? Well, it's, it's purely publicity purposes. I mean, the, the lottery wants that picture. You know, you, you win the megabucks thing. You win $500 million, and they want the picture of you standing there smiling with that giant $500 million check. Okay, that, that's, and it, it's in the small print on lottery tickets in many states, including Wisconsin. Wisconsin, the law is that they have the right, if you win, to use your name and your, your likeness. And it's a condition of that. So here's the deal. Um, a New Hampshire woman, she buys a Powerball ticket last month. She wins. The Powerball ticket is worth $560 million. $560 million. Well, here's the rub. She says, well, I, I want to remain. Pro- I don't want anybody knowing my my name. And the New Hampshire Lottery Commission says, sorry, I mean, that's that's a condition. If you want the dough, you know, one of the conditions is that you have to let us use your name. So she's she's filed a lawsuit under the pseudonym Jane Doe, saying she made a huge mistake when she signed her real name on the back of a ticket before contacting a lawyer who told her she could have remained anonymous had she established a trust and then had the trustee sign for the ticket. I don't know if that's correct or, or not. But regardless, um, you know, she says she's in the community and, you know, she she doesn't want people knowing that she won because she says, well, if everybody knows I won, then I'm going to be getting contacted by all these people who are going to asking be asking me for money or things like that. And, and I don't want to do that. I guess I understand her beef. I, I get it. And it's true that if you win the lottery, your life changes. But I guess I look at it like this for five hundred and sixty million dollars. You can change your name. I mean, if that's really a problem, for $560 million, um, you're going to have enough dough to change your name or to get an unlisted phone number or to kind of try to hide your address. To me, it is the ultimate first world problem. I will tell you, there's many things that I might worry about. If I won $560 million, actually, there's not too much I would worry about if I won $560 million. But the fact that people knew who you were, that's something that just kind of comes with the territory. So anyhow, she's saying that, you know, she she wants to be able to take this um, and take it without anybody knowing who she is. Uh, New Hampshire Lottery says, um, sorry, but that that's not the deal. The deal is we get to publicize your name. Um, so you got two choices, either give up your name or let us keep the money. Let's see. Staying private, taking $560 million. Staying private, taking $560 million. Drew, where do you come down on it? 
<laughs> yeah. You you would and, and and you would allow them to publicize your name grew for a heck of a lot less than five hundred and sixty million dollars, right? You you win five hundred bucks and you're willing to let them put your name out on something, right? A- absolutely. All right. Well, that's that's it. Grew grew won the five hundred bucks. Yeah. I I don't. Well, I guess from the perspective of privacy, I, I appreciate people's privacy, but the ultimate first world problem. I would take the money and then just kind of deal with the other consequences. And my guess is you could be able to fade that heat. All right. When we come back, John McCure, Greg Matzik, Melissa Barkley, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner.